Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but I had no idea where to go for answers. So with Running Explained, I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Running Explained podcast. I am Elizabeth. This week is a solo episode and we're going to be talking about training plans, how to read a training plan, why training plans are important, what you should look for when you are choosing a training plan, which is kind of all about training plans. So first of all, I want to be very clear in that unless you really know what you're doing, it's a good idea to follow a training plan when you're running. Otherwise, you risk a couple things like increasing your mileage, your weekly distance too quickly, doing workouts or distances that are inappropriate for your level of fitness, being inconsistent such that you actually aren't making the progress that you should be making. So if you're going too hard one week and then taking the week off or then having to take the next week off too or just running really inconsistently or if you're running too few days per week in order to reach the goals that you have, that sort of thing, a training plan can help guide you into the goals that you want to achieve. So when is a training plan appropriate? Training plans should definitely be utilized when you are training for a race. If you are training for, especially if you are training for a marathon or a half marathon, or honestly, even a 10K. If you're a newer runner and you're like, I want to run a 5K or I want to run a 10K, you should follow a training plan to help you achieve those goals. And you should choose a training plan that's based on your current level of fitness. You can also use training plans or you should use training plans when you are tr- between races, when you're doing other things in your training life that are not race specific. So if you just did a race-specific training period and you ran your race in the interim period between, you know, let's say you have four months until you're starting to train for your next race. And you're thinking, gee, what do I do for these four months? I think I want to increase my base weekly mileage. There is a training plan for that. That is something that a training plan can be helpful for. If you are in maintenance mode, if you're thinking, well, you know what, I I don't really have any specific goals that I'm trying to work up towards right now. I just want to maintain my current level of fitness. A training plan can help you with that. A training plan will guide you in how you should be running, when, how often, appropriate, again, to your current level of fitness. While all these training plans may sound very different and sometimes can seem like they look very different on paper, most training plans are written with the fundamental structure to be relatively similar. All the variables depend on how much, how often, and what kind of running each training plan contains. And again, I cannot reiterate enough, if you are training for a long distance race, please, please, please follow a training plan. Do not wing it. Please do not like put numbers in a spreadsheet and decide that that's going to be sufficient for your marathon. Please. That's how people get seriously injured. That being said, there are a couple different types of training plans in terms of quality. Now, are simple training plans bad? No, not at all. It all, again, is context dependent. It depends on what your situation is and what you're training for. 
Let's take a training plan like the Couch to 5K, the free plan you can find on the internet. The Couch to 5K is an excellent, very simple training plan designed for brand new runners to get them from zero to 5K in nine weeks. This is a great introduction to running for a lot of people because it emphasizes running and walking when appropriate, and it focuses on slowly increasing distance over a longer period of time. A lot of new runners might think, I'm going to run a mile today, and two miles tomorrow, and three miles the next day, and then four miles, and then five miles, and then, no, that's... (laughs) Running is really hard on your body, especially when you're new. It's a high-impact sport. You are literally pounding the pavement, and It's not as simple as just, I'll just run one and then two and then three and then four. When you're increasing your mileage, it's really important that you do it safely and sustainably, even when you're new and are trying to make those large increases. I cannot stress enough how much of a bad idea it is to try to increase your mileage, your weekly distance too fast. That's how you get injured. Shin splints are the most common new runner injury. You can also get things like plantar fasciitis. You can experience knee issues like IT band syndrome. You can experience um, hip issues. You can experience lower back issues if your core isn't strong enough. You can uh, burn out mentally. You can get overtrained really easily. So the dangers of increasing your volume, your intensity too fast are really real. And I know a lot of new runners find the sport and are super gung-ho and very, very excited. And they're like, I'm going to go and just run as much as I can. And I would caution you against doing that for the exact reasons I just laid out. It's also very important, especially if you're a new runner, that you run the majority, if not all, of your miles at an easy pace. And this might include some walking if you're a new runner. Run-walk intervals are very useful. You want to do most of your running, most of your work in your easy effort zone because that's where your best aerobic development happens. That's where your endurance is built. And in order to do that, you should stay in roughly your heart rate zone two or 75% or below of your maximum heart rate. For many runners, this is having a heart rate of 145 beats per minute or below. And yes, you may be walking for some of this, but the more time you spend in your easy effort zone, the faster you get in your easy effort zone and your pace will increase. You just have to give it time. The most important asset that you have as a runner is having a strong, stable, injury-free foundation. There are so many runners who start running and immediately get injured. And I don't want that to happen to you. So how does this fit into a training plan? The majority of training plans out there, the majority of the miles or kilometers in each training plan are designed to be run at an easy effort. Kind of no matter what the training plan is, and there are some exceptions and there's an exception to every rule, but the vast majority of training plans out there follow what is called the 80-20 rule, a a rough 80% easy, 20% hard split in the intensity of training. For people who are just working on building up their mileage, increasing their volume, or are working towards a new distance for the first time, your training plan might only include easy running because the goal here is to increase your volume, not increase your intensity. It's hard to do both at the same time in a way that's sustainable and healthy. So if you are trying to go out from the couch to a half marathon, 
Almost every single mile that you run in pursuit of that goal should be an easy endurance building mile. So how are training plans structured? Most training plans are structured on a seven day cycle. Why? Because that's how our work week works. It's, is there any special benefit to doing a seven day cycle as opposed to a six day or an eight day cycle? No, um, it just, it slots nicely into how the rhythms of human life works. Seven days is a perfectly fine training cycle length or microcycle, which is the micro cycle in the context of your larger training cycle. That's just how things work. And it, it works for the vast majority of runners to follow a seven day cyclical training plan within their larger training plan. You can get training plans that are on different micro cycles. So 10 days is another common aberration to the seven day <laughs> plan. I'll say like, there's not a bunch of 10 day microcycle training plans floating around, but you can get them. You can have a coach write one for you. There are some elite runners who follow a 10 day plan instead. The hallmarks of each microcycle, each little either seven or 10 day period within the larger training plan is that each little microcycle follows a fairly predictable pattern. In that within each microcycle, you will have a number of easy running days. You might have one to two what are called workout days if you were able to include workouts in your running. And then you have a long run, which is simply the longest run of that little cycle. For simplicity's sake, I'm going to talk specifically about the seven day cycle plans just because they are the vastly more common type of plan. But before that, I'll just put an aside as to why somebody might pursue a 10 day cycle plan instead of a seven day cycle plan. If you are, especially if you are very injury prone, older runners might find more benefit on a 10 day cycle. Um, elite runners might find more benefit on a 10 day cycle because they're not beholden to the seven day cycles of the rest of the world. There are specific benefits to following a 10 day cycle. However, for most people, a seven day cycle, a normally written training plan is completely appropriate for what they're trying to do. So when we talk about the cycles and weeks, you're like, oh, this week, how many weeks of running, that sort of thing. I'll be referring here on out basically to a seven day microcycle training plan. So what microcycle in the context of what? Your training plan is broken up for the most part. And this is more race specific training plans rather than something like a base building plan or a maintenance schedule. Your race specific training plans are broken up into what's, so you have what's called your macro cycle, macro meaning big. So that's kind of the entirety of the whole plan, like what you're trying to do. I'm starting on day one and by day X, 16 weeks later, my goal is this to run that marathon and the, the entire 16 week period, that is your macro cycle. Within your macro cycle, you have a couple different smaller chunks called mesocycles. And these are either, depending on what the mesocycle purpose is, can be anywhere from like two to four weeks in length. And it usually starts with something like you have your a base building or introductory or endurance building phase. And then the longer or the closer you get to race day, the more race specific your training becomes in different specific chunks. And so then you would have something like a, a speed 
mesocycle, and then you might have a, a race-specific training cycle. You're doing a lot of race-specific work, and then you would have your taper mesocycle. Your taper is a mesocycle, and then you would have your race. Okay, so that's the macro cycle is made up of chunks of mesocycles. And within each mesocycle, you have your microcycles, which are individual weeks. And you can even fine tune it down even further into little like smaller and smaller chunks. That's the basics of how a race specific training plan is structured and also how some um, base building training plans are structured. If you're building your base, actively building mileage, maintenance Planning training plans, maintenance schedules are slightly different because it's usually just your maintenance would be a specific week. Like you would take your maintenance microcycle, your a maintenance weekly schedule, and kind of just repeat that with a few variations here and there. Training plans are structured so it's like you have take a couple steps up and then one step back. That's called building up and going down. So or taking a cutback week. So training plans are usually structured where you take two to three weeks of consecutive building or increases in volume and or intensity. And then you have a cutback week or a down week. So in, in a week of intentionally reduced mileage, volume and intensity to allow your body that recovery that you need from the hard work you did in the weeks before. This sounds very familiar, right? To I just did a hard day or a couple of days and now I need to take a recovery day that's the exact same principle you need to take recovery time after larger periods of time within your training cycle and then on an even larger scale after your training cycle let's say your race specific training cycle you've just done a, a couple months of hard work after your race you need to take some cutback or down time in the range of weeks or a month, right, of reduced time. You can't just build and build and build and build and build. They're called cycles, training cycles for a reason, because they are cyclical. They're not called training ladders. <laughs> you don't just go up. They are cyclical in nature. And when you put it all together, there is a pattern that ebbs and flows that at the end of the day will get you to a more volume, more intensity, better fitness place at the end of it, it just looks a little wavy on your way there. So again, you don't just build and build and build. You can't just start on week one and add distance every single week until you get to your goal. You need to follow a properly structured ebb and flow where you have weeks that are increasing in volume and intensity, and then a week of reduced volume and intensity. And then you start, you know, so you take, let's say, three steps up, one step back. That's normal. You're still starting two steps ahead in the next four week training block than you did. It's all about taking those sustainable, healthy steps forward, whether it's building your mileage, training for a race, whatever it is. So that's the basic of how a training plan is structured. And like I said, most training plans are structured this way just because that's what the science supports. That our physiology responds to the stimulus the stress of training this way in that it then needs that commence the compensatory recovery time and then you do the again that it's a cycle of training how long are training plans this depends on what you're training for and what your history and experience is like in general the longer the race the longer the plan most training plans are somewhere between 
10 and 20 weeks in length. And we'll talk about the differences. For most marathon training plans, there are some plans out there that are 12 week marathon plans. I would caution you against choosing a plan like this unless you already have a really solid base and running history, you know what you're doing, you are comfortable with running higher mileage, you are already roughly in shape where you could train for a marathon and you're like, you know what, I, I have 12 weeks, I'm just going to do this. In general, for most people, 12 weeks is not long enough to train for a marathon. It's just not. You need to, again, talking about the sustainability of mileage building, you need time to do it correctly. 12 weeks, especially if it's your first marathon, especially if you are not comfortable running higher volume mileage, if you're not somewhere but north of 40 miles or 65 kilometers per week already, 12 weeks is just not long enough to train for a marathon. Most marathon training plans are somewhere between their 16, 18, or 20 weeks in length. There are some coaching services that offer plans for the marathon training that are somewhere like 24 weeks in length. These are structured a little bit differently from a traditional marathon training plan in that the first phase of the plan is basically just an extra base building section, which is always good. So when it comes to how to build up your mileage, volume, and intensity, the answer is slowly and safely. So if marathon training plans are anywhere from 16 to 20 weeks in length on average, most half marathon training plans are 12 to 16 weeks in length. Again, depending on a variety of factors, including how much training that your body can specifically handle and what your specific race goals are. 10K training is usually, I mean, 10 to 12 weeks. And then same with 5K training. Yes, if you are training specifically for a high level 5k, let's say you've run a couple marathons and some half marathons and like you got your BQ and you're like, I'm solid. I know what I'm doing, but I've only done these long, slow distance races, relatively speaking slow. I want to focus on the 5k. Yeah. You can follow an eight to 12 week training block that is specifically focused on the 5k. It's a lot of VO2 max work. It's going to be really different from anything you've ever done before but it's specific for the 5k and it will absolutely help you run your fastest 5k. Is that an appropriate 5k training plan for the vast majority of people who have the goal to run a 5k? Absolutely not. But it's an illustration of the variety and types of training plans that exist on the entire spectrum of what training plans can do for you. Why are shorter race distances subject to shorter race plans? Why can't you take 20 weeks to train for a 5K? Isn't more training time always better? Not necessarily. And this has to do with the race specificity of what you're trying to do. As we talked about before, about how training cycles are structured, you cannot ask a whole lot of your body without then giving it downtime, right? You need to build up and and do a lot of things that are hard and intense, but then you need to Give it some downtime, whether that's your recovery days in your week or your recovery weeks in your mesocycle or your recovery period after your training cycle is finished. The faster your race-specific work is, the harder it is on your body. It is just a fact 
that your 5K race pace is harder on your body than your marathon paces. It just is. It's just harder. It's faster. It is more intense. And that means that you cannot run as much of it, of course, as your five, as your marathon pace. You cannot go, you cannot take, let's say, the same workout. Oh, I'm going to run, I'm going to run um, four two-mile repeats at my marathon pace. Okay, that's, a, that's an appropriate workout for your marathon. I'm going to run four two-mile repeats at my 5K pace. That is a completely inappropriate workout for most people. I cannot think. I mean, that is so much work at such a high level. I, I'm not entirely sure. I'm sure there is a situation for whom this would be, you know, this is beneficial for somebody out there at some point. For 99.9% of you, this is an insane workout to attempt. Do not do it. It is not going to end well. Do you understand? So you can't just say, oh, I'll just run a whole bunch at my 5K pace um, and then that will help me be better on my 5K. That's the harder that your race pace is, the less work you're able to do with that pace just because it asks more of your body. You guys have ever heard of spoon theory, which is something when people talk about um, specifically in the context of people who have autism or neurodivergent disorders, we talk about the basically the resources that we have to give in a, in a day. I have a finite number of spoons. Let's say I have this is again, this is all supposed to be very theoretical, but it helps illustrate how how we use our resources in any given time period. I have a hundred spoons to spend on my running today. How am I going to spend my spoons? Well, I could do the marathon workout, right? Let's do four times two miles at marathon pace. That'll, that's 80 spoons worth, okay? That's, a, you know, okay, yeah. I, I, but I still have some spoons left over. Cool. I'll do four times two miles at 5K pace. That's 250 spoons. You don't have that many spoons. You cannot do that workout. Do you understand the difference? So just because <laughs> you can do one workout at one intensity does not mean you can just ramp up the intensity and you can do it at the other, uh, it's not going to be the same workout. So all this to say in a very roundabout way, the harder that your race pace is relative to your ability, the less work you can do because of the overall more taxing effect it has on your body. You cannot train for 5k specific work for 20 weeks just because you're going to peak and and taper you're going your body will naturally peak and taper when it happens naturally we call it peaking and burning out before your race happens this is why 5k plans are so much shorter than marathon plans are when you're doing work at your race specific pace your goal pace the closer you get to your race in any training plan, the more race-specific your work becomes. And this is true for any race-specific plan. So the closer you get to your marathon in your training plan, the more marathon-specific your work becomes. The closer you get to your half or your 10K or your 5K in your training plan that includes race and pace-specific work, the more work you will do in that race specific zone, which is very taxing, which is why you don't do it from the outset. That's why that, you know, when you start a new training plan, 
the very first thing you do, you don't go out and run a bunch of goal pace miles or you don't immediately do a really intense workout close to your goal race pace. Let's say if it's for the, you know, the half marathon, you don't start a half marathon training cycle by running 45 minutes at your lactate threshold. Like that's insane. That's first of all, it's a really long time to run at lactate threshold for anybody because lactate threshold pace is really a pace you can only sustain for an hour. But also the progressive nature of training plans means that you you increase your volume and intensity over the course of the training plan in a place that becomes more and more race specific the closer you get to race day. So that is how training plans are structured in the lengths that they are structured in. No, you cannot train for a marathon in eight weeks. No, you shouldn't take 20 weeks to train for a 5K. That's just too t- too much time. You don't need that much time for anybody. Nobody needs to spend 20 weeks training for a 5K. And, and most plans fall somewhere in the middle, right? Even for the marathon, I know there are some plans that out there, oh, you can run a marathon in 12 weeks. I personally don't think that's enough time to train for a marathon unless you are in a space where you are basically already fairly close to marathon possibility fitness, that would be appropriate. But for most people who are training for the marathon, I recommend a minimum of 16 weeks for the marathon training. For a half marathon, I'd say a minimum of 12 weeks. And then for the five and the 10K, you can, depending on what your goals are, how your running history, how intense that you're, you know, the pace that you're trying to sustain is, how ambitious your goals are, anywhere from eight to 12 weeks on the outside. So that's why and how training plans are the different lengths of time that they are. Now, we talked before about how after you follow a race-specific training plan, you should take some time, recovery time, some downtime, some reduced time. One, you just need to. You need to let your body recover, especially after the longer races, the half and the full marathon. For a half marathon, one to two weeks of either severely reduced or no running, you know, especially in that first week. The marathon, it's usually three. I don't think you can, the the studies show, like you can't really cover, recover from a marathon in less than three weeks. And if you return to running too quickly, you are going to just hinder your ability to recover and your body's ability to take the fitness that you've gained from your race and translate it into future training, success, and fitness. Because something we don't really acknowledge enough is that the race itself, the training plan, gets you ready for the race. And during your training plan, the training that you do confers a whole bunch of really cool physiological adaptations on your body. Your muscles get stronger. Your cells get become, um, the mitochondria become denser. You grow new capillaries. Your blood plasma volume increases. Your bones become denser. All these really cool cellular, almost molecular level adaptations occur in your body to make you a better, faster, stronger runner. That all happens during the course of the training plan. Now, what you actually do on race day is like, supercharged. I just, I'm not going to have to go find this. I read this in one of my training books somewhere. We talk about mitochondrial density. So one of the benefits or the important things about why you should 
do a lot of easy running is that easy effort running increases your mitochondrial mitochondrial density. Mitochondria are your little tiny power plants that reside in your cells. Your mitochondria are the ones that actually take the fuel and make the energy that feeds your muscles. The more mitochondria that you have, the more energy you can produce and feed to your muscles and the faster you can run. More mitochondria are always a good thing. And I'm sure somebody's going to DM me and say, well, I found about this mitochondrial disorder and you have too many mitochondria. And like, okay, for that's thank you. (laughs) I'm sure there's somebody out there who has too many mitochondria. For the rest of us, we need all the mitochondria we can get. So part of what you're doing when you're training for your race, especially when you're in your easy effort zone, is you are creating, you're telling your body to build more mitochondria because we need more power. We need more powerhouses. We need more, we need more energy available to our muscles when we're doing this thing. And at the rate of mitochondrial density, I forget, there is like a specific rate at which it occurs. The rate of mitochondrial density that occurs during a marathon is something like thousands and thousands of times the normal rate of mitochondrial density. So I say this because I want to illustrate the um, the training effect that your race has on your body. It is a supercharged session. When you go out on race day and leave it all out on the road, whether it's a 5k or a marathon or an ultra marathon, anywhere in between, when you take all the training that you've done, when you are at the fittest you've ever been at the end of a training plan and then you go and you throw down on race day you run a crazy PR you run your heart out you've never run so hard so fast so long in your whole life awesome but that is also a super cool training effect on your body your body doesn't know the difference between when you're running for a training run and when you're running for a race it just knows it's receiving the stimulus receiving the stress from the activity and then it makes decisions on how to respond to that stress to make those adaptations that make you better able to deal with that same stress in the future so whether it's a long run or a recovery run or an easy run, or you're actually racing a marathon, your body is going to take what just happened and say, okay, cool. Um, Let's make some structural changes so we can be better prepared next time that this crazy person that we live in decides to do something like this. (laughs) Racing is excellent for your fitness, but it's so hard on your body that you just can't do it all the time, right? Especially with the longer distance races. That's why the recovery period after your training cycle, after your race is done is so important because you need to let your body do its job after the race and make all those adaptations, repairs, rebuilding. If you interfere with that work, you are not going to gain as much fitness as you could have from your race as you otherwise would have, right? So if you return to running, too soon, at too high an intensity, at too long a distance, you are doing yourself a disservice because you're basically leaving fitness on the table. You are walking away from potential fitness gains you could have gotten because of what you did during your race when you come back too soon. That's why we talk about the periodization of our training and the cyclical nature of what we do. That's why the downtime, the recovery time is so important, not just on a weekly, on a monthly, but on a multi-month on a larger scale as well. So when you're talking about how to structure your training, how to put your training plans together, this is why you cannot plan hop. 
And this means this is why you cannot end one training plan and immediately start another one. Because one, you do need at least at least a little bit of time, whether that's weeks or maybe a month, maybe a couple months, depending on what the grand, the grand scheme of things are, the giant context in which your goals reside. You cannot, or it's ill-advised to finish one training plan and immediately start another one. You need to give yourself some time. Especially when you're talking about those long distance races, especially when we're talking about the marathon, right? Even the half marathon, you need to give yourself time in between those races, in between those training plans to do some recovery, rebuilding work. A little bit of base building always helps. And then start your other through next training plan after you've had your appropriate period of recovery and downtime in between. So what about these base building, these other plans, a training plan that isn't a race specific plan? Like what's the point? Like, why should I care? How are those different? Yada, yada. All training plans are just plans that help you train, right? So it depends on what the goal of that specific plan is. And when we talk about training plans, we're usually broadly referring to a race specific training plan. Like when we refer to a Kleenex, we mean tissues, all of it. So not all training plans are race specific training plans. We do have training plans, plans that plan your training for things like base building and base building. We kind of use it interchangeably. I wish there were more clear terms because kind of a stickler for, you know, naming things, their correct name. When you talk about building your base, we're talking about one of a couple different things. And you, these are not necessarily things that happen simultaneously. You can do one or the other. We talk about building your base, the importance of building your base, the importance of having a strong endurance base, a strong aerobic base that is mostly created by easy running, a lot of easy effort running. You want a strong base. That is one kind of nebulous endurance aerobic, a strong aerobic base through lots of easy running. That does not necessarily mean that when you're base building, you're talking about increasing your base weekly distance, although it can also refer to that. So base building can refer to just the creation of a strong physiologic, right? aerobic endurance base. It can refer to the numbers that you run every week, the building the weekly base distance that you run on average, or can refer to both at the same time. (laughs) So it's kind of like, well, which one are we talking about here? When we talk about building your aerobic endurance base, building up your, uh, your aerobic capacity through lots of easy effort running that can be done at your current weekly volume, or you can do it in conjunction with increasing your weekly volume in a sustainable way. How, why would you do this without increasing your weekly volume? Because in general, we say, if you want to increase your aerobic endurance and become a faster, fitter, stronger runner through the process of lots of easy running, it helps to run more in general. And in general, yes, it it is helpful for many runners to increase their volume because that will naturally help them increase their aerobic endurance. However, if you are a runner who has been running 
any distance weekly for the most part. And you've been running all of your runs too hard. If you are heart rates in the 160s every day or the 170s and the 180s, if you're only doing speed work, if you're running like five speed workouts a week, if you're doing a long run at marathon pace or faster, like if you're running all your runs too hard, instead of following the traditional 80% easy running, 20% hard running split, you could probably just massively benefit from taking exactly the current volume that you're running and just focusing on mostly easy running instead. So if you're currently running 20 miles, 32 kilometers per week, let's say spread out over four days, and most if not all of those runs are runs that are too, like very hard, right? Again, heart rate's high, effort's high, you're doing a lot of speed work, a lot of intervals, a lot of high intensity stuff, a lot of fast stuff. First of all, that's really bad for you. It is not getting you as fit as you think it is. I know it feels like harder equals better when it comes to fitness. That is not necessarily true. Our bodies are complex and have a wide breadth of aerobic system that we need to work all parts of. And the most important part is that lower intensity, easy effort aerobic zone that you can only work when you're in your easy effort area of your fitness. So this means, yes, there is a time and a place for hard running, but that is a, a small place in the context of your big week. So if you are, again, if you're running 20, 20 miles, 32 kilometers, you know, 20, 30, 40 miles per week, and you're running all your runs too hard, you could change nothing about how much you're running, but just by increasing the intense or sorry, changing the intensity at which you're running, decreasing the intensity for most of your runs down into your true easy effort zone, that will give you huge aerobic endurance gains just by changing the intensity at which you're currently running, you know, the, the mileage, the distance you're already running every week, just backing off the intensity for the majority of those runs into your easy effort zone. That will help you build up your aerobic and endurance, you know, aerobic capacity, your endurance base. That will help you build your aerobic base, increase that mitochondrial density, increase capillary density, make you more efficient at burning fat for fuel. Uh, it will help your bones uh, become stronger and denser without overloading them from the high impact of running. The benefits of easy running are like, I just need to get them tattooed on my face. They are myriad and unbelievable. And yes, hard running has a place in all of this, but a very small place in the grand scheme of things. Think of hard running like that ghost chili condiment that you bought at the fair the other time. And every time you try to add it to something, if when you add more than a drop, it makes the rest of your dish unbearably spicy to eat. That's what hard running is. Amazing in small doses, but when you add too much, it's disastrous. So that is one way to build your aerobic base, is just by tweaking the intensity of the distance you're currently running so that most of your distance goes back to and is in your easy effort zone. That is one way to work on your aerobic capacity. And you don't really need to train. I mean, if you already have a, a plan that you're following, let's say you like, I have a maintenance plan. Like I'm very comfortable running this kind of, you know, weekly distance. Um, I don't want to change that. 
Well, then working on your aerobic capacity, just do most of it in your easy effort zone. In terms of training plan for increasing your weekly volume, again, this is going to be a plan that is made up mostly, if not entirely, of that easy effort. So you are going to get that two, you know, two birds and one stone, two bangs for your buck. You are going to get both your, you know, in you are going to get huge benefits for increasing aerobic capacity and your endurance when you increase your volume slowly and sustainably over the course of the weeks and months that you're following the training plan. So a talk about base building in terms of increasing your weekly volume. You would do this because you were just interested in running more because running more in general makes you a stronger runner. Running more allows you more options when you're training for things in the future, right? If you want to train for a marathon in the future, you can't just run 15 miles a week. You have to get yourself to a place where you are comfortable running 30, 35, or 40 miles per week in preparation for that marathon training. And like I mentioned before, it's very challenging for your body to increase both volume and intensity simultaneously. So when you go into a challenging training plan, having a super strong endurance base already there, you're like, I can handle the distance. I can handle the volume, but the workouts are going to be the challenging part of this training plan. That's a good place to be in. You don't want to go into a training plan and say, gee, this increase in volume and increase in intensity is going to be very challenging for me. Because when both of those things are challenging, that puts you in a territory where bad things could happen. That makes you a more likely candidate for something like overtraining syndrome or overreaching syndrome. It's very challenging for your body to increase both volume and intensity at the same time. So a base building training plan is one that specifically, a base building mileage, <laughs> when you're building your mileage, when you're building your base weekly distance from A to B, this is a plan that's going to be, usually there are a couple months in length in order to sustainably and properly increase your distance get you from your starting weekly mileage to your new sustainable weekly mileage over the course of the plan. And again, this is mostly easy running. I do have a couple base building plans available. One that takes you from 15 to 30 miles per week, which is 24 kilometers to 48 kilometers per week over the course of a 16 week period. And that's a really great one for most people. Um, I also have one coming up. So I know, guys, I've been so busy. I am working on it. Nobody's been banging at my door for this one. So we'll see. Um, 20 up to 40 miles per week. And that's uh, 32 to 65 kilometers per week. That is a five-month plan. The beauty about any of these base building plans are basically you can stop, you can get off the ride whenever you want to. (laughs) So because they are progressively building, right, in that structured way, if you have your three weeks of building up and then your one week of you know, down week, your cutback week, is that as soon as you reach a mileage that you or a weekly distance that you want to be at, you can just stop like and stop there at that appropriate week. So let's say you don't even want to get to 40 miles per week. You want to get to 35 miles per week. Well, it's like, well, just stop the month before because <laughs> you're already there. So um, base building plans when you're talking about increasing mileage, it's super important to do this in a sustainable way slow and sustainable. But these types of distance building plans are exceptionally useful when you are preparing for a future training plan. If you have downtime in between plans, like let's say 
you had a race that you ran, you have like three months before you even start your next training plan, doing some distance building can be beneficial. Or like I said, if you are already at a weekly distance that you're comfortable at, shifting back towards mostly easy running will help build up your aerobic endurance specifically without you know adding additional weekly mileage or kilometers. And then, so I said, when we talk about base building, it can mean one of two things or both things together. So base building can mean that increase in aerobic capacity. Base building can mean that increase in weekly volume, or it can mean both those things together. And when you are when you are increasing your weekly volume, you are also by default also increasing aerobic capacity. It's just simultaneously. It could just happen simultaneously. So, so one of the bonus benefits of increasing your weekly distance is that you will also be increasing your aerobic capacity at the same time because you're gonna be running more and you'll be running a mostly in your easy zone. So those are the training plans to follow when you are not training for a race, but you are training for another purpose like you're increasing weekly distance or increasing your capacity. Now we'll talk about the training plans themselves. In each training plan, when you look at a training plan and you're looking like, okay, Monday, it says this, and Tuesday, it says that. Let's talk about some of the common features that we find on most training plans and what they mean and how to read a workout. It's very important for you, the person who is following the training plan, to understand how to follow the training plan, what the training plan is asking you to do, how fast you should be running specific days, what the purpose of each day is, that sort of thing. So you should either learn this because you got your training plan from a book that you read the book. You didn't just flip to the back where the training plans are. You read the book, you understand the philosophy behind why the training plans are set up the way they are, and you are following the training plan and understand how and why to execute the plan that way, or because you're working with a coach who is explaining the how and why of why your plan and training is set up this way, you should not just look at a training plan and say, I don't know what this is. I'm just going to go and run this distance. That's not the way to do a training plan. A training plan is set up a specific way with specific days that have specific functions, and you should understand the how and why of what those are. So when we're talking about a plan that has is on the normal seven-day training cycle, in each week, you're going to have a variety of runs and rest or active recovery days. Each week will have one long run, which is just your longest run of the week, depending on your overall weekly volume. This could be anywhere from four to 22 miles, right? So it really depends. It's just your long run is your longest run of the week. Unless your plan specifically says otherwise, you should run your long run in your easy effort zone. If you do have a long run workout in your schedule, again, this will be specified on specifically how you should do it, but some common long run workouts are things like long runs that have a section at your goal pace miles uh, in like in the middle. So especially for a marathon training, you might have something like a 16 mile long run with eight or 10 miles at goal, mar marathon goal pace. That's just one example of a long run workout. You can also have a long run workout that's something like a progression run um, or a fast finish or any kind of combination you have workouts buried in the middle of your long run. So, but this should all be clear to you when you read your plan, 
what it's asking you to do. If your plan just says like, you know, long run, that should be done at your easy pace. The other most common runs in your plan are going to be your easy, what might be called aerobic runs or recovery runs, right? So your easy runs, your traditional, common, easy effort running, this works your easy effort zone, your aerobic capacity building, your endurance building zone. Your recovery runs are going to be runs that are after harder efforts, like your long runs or speed workouts. And this should be extra easy, extra gentle. The purpose of a recovery run is to help your body recover. So you don't want to push at all. You just want to move your body and feel better at the end of your recovery run, which is usually very short compared to the rest of the runs in your week. Better after a recovery run than when you started. So you have your long runs, you have your regular easy runs, you have your recovery runs, and then you have your other workout days. So we talk about easy days and hard days when you have a plan that has three easy days and two hard days, right? A hard day can be a long run or it can be a workout, like a speed workout, a tempo workout, interval workout, any sort of workout that includes faster running. So your hard days are your workout days and your long run is also a workout day or a hard day. So when you're talking about how your days are proportioned, if you say, well, I'm doing two speed workouts and a long run every week, that's three hard days. You'd better be running six or seven days a week in order to support that kind of running. And and I say that facetiously because unless you have built up your volume and endurance in order to be able to sustain that kind of running every week, you should not be doing that much running. This is a long, slow process for a reason. The workouts depend on what your race-specific goals are. You can have workouts that are classic interval or repetition workouts, right? So these might be written in a track format where you have 400 meter repeats. So 400 M, M stands for meters. And yes, for us, those of us who live in America, um, you will have become a little bit familiar with the metric system. 400 meters is approximately a quarter mile. 400 meters is one lap around a standard outdoor track. So 400 meters at 5K pace with 400 meter recovery, Uh, So this workout would be you warm up for 10 to 15 minutes of easy effort running. You do your 400 meter hard repeat at your target pace. So let's say 5k pace in this situation. Most times when you read a workout and it says X pace, it usually means your current fitness pace, your current level of fitness, not your goal pace. If it says, if it means goal pace, it'll say goal pace. So you would do 400 meter, you know, one lap around the track or a quarter mile interval of hard running at your 5k pace. And then you would have 400 meters, either it says jog or walk recovery. And then you repeat that for however many times the workout specifies. Let's say it's six. So you would do six repeats. So each you do one hard, one easy, you know, the recovery interval, repeat that six times. And then you do a cool down period, another 10 to 15 minutes of easy running for your cool down. That's a very classic speed interval workout. 
There are literally a billion ways to do these types of interval workouts because it depends on multiple variables. How long your hard running interval is, how what pace you're supposed to be running that interval at, uh, how much rest and what kind of rest or recovery you get in between each interval. If you're doing supersets, right? So if you would have like four times 800 meters done twice and with a longer recovery interval in between, usually it's just straight rest. You can have time-based rest. You can have distance-based rest or recovery. Um, so <laughs> this is like the possibilities are endless, right? But the basics of how these types of interval workouts go and on your plan, they would say something like 6X400M with 400M recovery. Okay, so that means six 400 meter intervals with 400 meters of recovery in between each hard interval, and then it'll specify the pace. You also might have on those uh, workout days a total mileage you're supposed to hit, right? So if you have a mileage that says six miles, and then it lists the workout. You don't like run six miles and then do the workout. <laughs> the workout contributes to the overall mileage. So the overall mileage you're supposed to be running for that day will include your warm up, the entirety of your workout, and your cool down. As you venture into higher um, volume and more ambitious types of plans, your workout days may have relatively high total mileage. So let's say that you're running a fairly high volume plan and you have a speed day that says nine miles and then a speed, the workout attached to that day only gets you to like five miles. That means you have to run an additional four miles at your recovery pace in order to get your total volume for the day. And again, these are usually for higher mileage plans, We're talking like 60, 70, 80 miles per week, more definitely advanced training plans. So when you have a speed workout or a workout hard day that has a, a total figure, I'm supposed to run six miles, or I'm supposed to run 10 kilometers, and then it has a workout listed, the workout contributes to your total volume for the day. It's not in addition to, that would be wild. In general, your hard days, your speed days, workout days, tempo days, that sort of thing, the total volume for that day is not, it's roughly equivalent to what a normal day would be for the rest of the week, right? So if you're running 40 miles per week and your long run is 12 miles, your speed day would not also be 12 miles, right? Your speed day would be more like six miles or seven miles in line with the other runs of the week, which are averaging, let's say six miles or seven miles. In general, your training plans are not going to have the same mileage every day. It's not if you're running, again, 40 miles per week, you don't run four 10-mile runs. <laughs> because, again, we talk about the cycle, the ebb and flow of how your body responds to stress and recovers from the stimulus. The same thing on those micro cycle in those weeks. So your 40 mile per week, 65 kilometers per week training plan is going to be it um, is going to be a variety of distances throughout the week. So you're going to have your long run, you're going to have very short recovery days, and then you're going to have a couple other days of varying distances in between. So you might have something like a midweek medium long run. This is usually 
uh, a stable of some of the higher volume training plans. It's a very beneficial for marathon training for endurance building in general. A midweek medium long run is a long run that is shorter than your long run, but longer than the rest of your runs. And again, it helps build that endurance. Um, so again, your training plan, as you allocate your distance throughout the week, it's not just the same distance every day. You should have variations in your distance depending on what you're trying to do and what your overall weekly volume is. But almost every single plan out there is going to have one long run, no more than, it's not going to have more than one long run, one long run, which is your longest run of the week. And then a variety of other runs at other paces and distances in order to work your whole system over the course of the week in a way that is sustainable and provides the proper stimulus and recovery from what you're trying to do. So you have your, at the very easy end, the slow end, you have your recovery runs, you have your easy days, which also may be called aerobic. You have your hard days, which are things like speed workouts, tempos, interval, lactate threshold, VO2 max work. And then you have your long run, which is the longest run of the week. On some training plans, you might have something like X distance easy plus or with, and then it'll see something like strides or hill sprints. Strides are basically a running drill. Strides are very short, about 100 meters in length, um, where you use the first third of the distance to accelerate, the middle third of the distance to hold a hard, not all out sprint, but very hard, fast running pace, working on your turnover. So making sure your feet are turning over quickly and that you're staying relaxed and using the final third to decelerate. These are usually done in sets of anywhere from four to eight, depending on, again, your experience and your overall training volume. These are a really um, beneficial, high value, low training uh, volume impact way to work the neuromuscular connections of your speed systems without being nearly as taxing as doing like an actual speed workout, right? So you can tack three or four strides onto the end of any regular easy run well, to get the benefits of the strides, get the turnover, the running fast for just in little itty bitty tiny doses. But the, the overall amount of fast running is so small and compared to the rest of the training that you do that it definitely, it still keeps that easy day easy. You usually take straight rest in between each stride. So you would do a stride and then rest for a minute or two minutes. So you want to be completely fresh at the beginning of each stride. A stride is not, it's a drill, not which is different from like doing a, a, a training workout. A drill, you want to be fresh. It's not supposed to be hard or challenging. It's not supposed to tax you, you know, that you need so, you know, so much recovery from that you can't continue on. So those are strides. Hill sprints are, uh, again, really, really short and usually they can be time-based. So you do like, eight to 10 or maybe 12 seconds of sprinting up your a hill. <laughs> and again, this is working on the neuromuscular connections of your speed, hill sprints, hill work in general is super high impact in not, in, not high impact. in what we talk about the high impact of running where you're pounding the ground, high impact means it has a big payoff for a little input. And these again, usually done in small sets. This is 
somewhere between a drill and a workout. Hill sprints are a little bit more intense for your training load than strides are. But again, you can add them to the end of one, maybe two work, um, running days a week, depending on how many other hills that you do, depending on the race that you're training for. Is it very hilly? That sort of thing. So when you're doing hill sprints, you want to make sure that you are, again, the neuromuscular connection between your mind and your body is being worked. Your posture is good. Your core is engaged. You're going up the hill. But again, these are so short in length that you, when you take a couple minutes of recovery in between, you're completely recovered, you know, jog back down to the bottom of the hill, take another minute or two of actual rest, and then do it all over again. So that is our ways you could kind of spice up your easy days. So you have a high um, payoff for a little bit of input. So you can understand now why there, while all training plans are structured roughly the same way, there are so many variables to consider how much you're training, what you're training for, what your training looks like, the kind of experience that you have. And then also there comes a lot of philosophical differences, if you will, who is writing the plan. Specific famous coaches have very specific training philosophies that you can see in their plans when they're written. They have certain philosophies and beliefs about why specific types of training uh, are more beneficial in this way or combined with that. So um, there are, again, a million different ways a training plan can be written, but the basics of how a training plan will look is you will have your recovery days, your easy days, your hard days, and then a long run every week. It can sometimes feel when you start running and start really getting into running that you're learning a new language and you are. We talk about these things like hard days and lactate threshold and, you know, cruise intervals. And you're like, what is all of this mean? <laughs> That's okay. You are learning, learning a new language. You are. This is new and it's exciting. That's, that's why it's so cool. How many of us have the opportunity to learn something so new and exciting in our adulthood, right? I mean, I remember being back in school and when you learn learning things that are new, everything that you learn is new, new topics to explore, new books to read, new disciplines to discover. When you get to college, it's like, I could take this class or I could do this class. Or I can major in this. I can learn about that. The possibility of knowledge is so exciting. And so I would encourage you to harness that same excitement when it comes to learning about running and reading about running, when learning a new language about running and then applying it to your own running. I would encourage you to look at this as an exciting opportunity rather than something to get discouraged about. Especially as we become adults, we get used to knowing everything, right? Like, oh, I know that. Oh, there's nothing new to learn. Oh, I knew that already. But this is something to be excited about learning. Be excited about learning more about this thing that you are passionate about because it's only going to make you a better runner in the end. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find me on Instagram at running explained or at my website, runningexplained.co. If you have a question you'd like to have answered, you can submit it in my stories every Monday or email me at elizabeth at runningexplained.co. That's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H at runningexplained.co. Until next time, happy running. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.